Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. How would you define or explain the word grace? What grace means? Grace is God's unmerited favor. It is uh, receiving from God uh, what we don't deserve. And we often think about grace when it comes to uh, forgiveness of sin, eternal life. There's a, One of the famous verses in the New Testament is that we're saved by grace through faith, not by our works. It's not by what good we have done that God saves us. It's purely by His grace. And what we mean by that is it's God's unmerited, undeserved favor upon our lives. And that is true And that is the primary way Scripture talks about grace. But it's not the only way that God's Word talks about grace. God's Word also talks about grace in the sense of any good that comes out of our lives, the good works that we do for Him, the good that He brings about in our lives is ultimately attributed to His grace and not to our own work. It's not because of us. Ultimately, it's because of Him. So in other words, everything good that comes from our lives is ultimately not sourced in us. It is ultimately sourced in God and in His grace. Because if God were to remove His grace from our lives, and if God were to remove His grace from the world, there would be nothing left but evil and corruption. The only reason that there's any good in us, there's, the only reason there's any good in the world is because ultimately it's sourced in God's grace. If God were to leave us completely to ourselves, separate from His grace entirely, we would be nothing but evil and corrupt. Matthew Henry was a Puritan preacher years ago and wrote a lot about the Bible He said, the grace of God must be owned as the root and fountain of all the good that is in us or done by us at any time. It is great grace and favor from God and bestowed on us if we are made useful to others and are forward to do any good work. Uh, That's ultimately what I want to talk about today, specifically uh, when it comes to giving. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to let you remain seated and uh, I want to read... A couple verses here. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. Uh, Now, that's an old English phrase that means we want you to know. We want you to know. Of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. I read this a few weeks ago and I want to come and revisit some things I wasn't really able to talk about. Notice verse 2, how that in great trial of affliction, they're in a great trial of affliction, but there's the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear them record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves 
praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for yourselves He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich." And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore, perform the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also of that which you have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased, and You be burdened, but in equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want. That their abundance may also be a supply for your want. That there may be equality. As it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. Skip down to chapter 9 verse 1. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them at Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, you may be ready, lest happily if They of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared. We, that we say not ye, should be ashamed in this confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, your gift. Wherefore you had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say... He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad and... He hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also may, uh, excuse me, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men, and by by their prayer for you, 
which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. I want to preach to you for a few minutes today about this idea that one of the ways God's grace affects us is in the area of our giving. And I want to talk to you about God's work in your God's grace at work in your giving. God's grace at work in your giving. One of the ways God's grace shows itself in our lives is through giving. And I want to give you four thoughts about that. Let's pray briefly though together first. Father, I pray that you would use these uh, thoughts from your word uh, to help us today understand your grace and the way it shows itself through giving. Thank you for this text. Thank you even for the testimony that Joe shared. And I pray you'd use it all to build us up and to make us more like Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God's grace at work in your life, um, specifically in your giving. Let me give you four things about that. I hope you'll write some of these down. Uh, Number one, God's grace. How do you know when God's grace is at work in your giving? Number one, God's grace is at work in your giving when you give willingly. When you give willingly. Now, Paul, you've got to understand something or you will miss what's going on in what we just read. There are two different... um, Christians, that uh, groups that he's talking about. He's speaking directly to the Corinthian Christians. So Christians living in a place called Corinth. But he's writing to these Christians in Corinth and he's talking to them about Christians in Macedonia. These Christians in Macedonia, Paul used them as a teaching example for the Christians in Corinth. Now the Christians in Macedonia, this is Paul's teaching example. They were extremely poor. They were in a deep trial of poverty. But Paul told about the incredible work of God's grace in them that brought about this willingness and this desire to give even though they were in a great trial of poverty. And Paul's amazed by this. They were very poor, but still they gave, not because they could afford to give, but because they wanted to give. They were willing to give. They actually, if you read the text carefully, they're actually pleading with Paul to take the gift. Paul is kind of saying, I am hesitant to take the gift from you because I know how poor you are and how little you can afford to give this. And Paul said, they did more than we wanted. Now, when's the last time you went to church and the pastor said, look, you need to stop giving because it's just too much, right? That doesn't happen in most churches. But Paul is really saying, look, you're doing more. When's the last time a pastor stood up and said, look, folks, you need to stop giving because you're really doing more than what, what you really should be giving, right? Paul's saying that, but he means it. Because here are people... Now, look, a lot of us in this country like to poor mouth... And there are poor in this country. But the reality is, what we mean by poor is not always legitimate poor. Poor means that, you know, you know I, I can't go to Morton's Steakhouse comfortably and eat tonight. That's sometimes... Or, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to make that $500 car payment. Where a lot of people in the world, poor means I really don't know where my food's coming at tomorrow. So let's be careful when we use and throw the word poor out there 
that, 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 that we understand where we're coming from. Because I think a lot of the world would listen to our conversations and look at us and say, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You think you're poor? And many of you have lived in other places of the world, and you know what poor is, and you've seen poor. And I've visited places, and I've, I've seen people living in mud huts. That's poor. Not being able to afford the designer clothes that we want every month is not poor, and we need to know, know the difference between those. But notice it says in verse 3 that they, of, of chapter 8, uh, they were willing of themselves. And that phrase literally means they, they, they freely chose. By one's own choice. They were making this choice. They were not being coerced or manipulated. No one had to twist their arm. They gave willingly. And you know the opposite of giving willingly is found in chapter 9 verse 7. Look at chapter 9 verse 7. He says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, and here's our word, nor of necessity. Giving of necessity is the opposite of giving willingly. The idea of giving of necessity is the idea of pressure or compelling force. And Paul's very clear in this. He's not commanding them to give. He's not commanding a certain amount that they give. He's not commanding a certain percentage. But what Paul is after is to see the grace of God so at work in them where they give of their own choice, where they're willingly giving. Do you know that God's not after our money? He's not. Jesus spoke a lot about money, but He didn't need people's money. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't, certainly doesn't need my money. What Jesus is after is the heart. And so often our hearts and money have such a deep connection to them that Jesus ultimately shows us a lot about our hearts by talking about money. You know, if Jesus wanted our money, He'd simply take it. <laughs> Everything belongs to Him, and it wouldn't be stealing, because it does belong to Him. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. He's Lord of it all. If He wanted it, He could take it. And He's not trying to twist your arm to give. He doesn't want to manipulate. He doesn't want us to manipulate people to give. He doesn't want us to pressure people to give. But He does want us to, to give. He does want us to encourage one another to give. He does use testimonies like the one that we've heard and many others that we share to encourage us to give. And that's not manipulation. I believe that's encouragement that God does. Because God wants to create in us this desire of our own free choice without someone else pressuring us. Or He wants to create that desire within us where we long to give. He wants us to give voluntarily. Is that how we give? Or are we the kind of people that always need someone to prod us to give? Are we the kind of people that always need some, something to kind of push us to give? Or is it God's grace that's driving our giving? Number two, God's grace is at work when you give generously. The word He uses in this passage is bountifully, but we don't use that word very often, but it means generously. Look at verse 2 of chapter 8. He says that this great trial of affliction, but there's an abundance of their joy. Their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. The word liberality means generosity. So here you have something going on. That these Christians in Macedonia were so poor, they didn't have much to give, but they were very generous. And did you know that generosity has very little to do with the amount 
and has everything to do with the sacrifice required. You can be incredibly generous and give very little money because you have very little to give. And you can be incredibly stingy and give a ton of money, but in comparison with what you can do. And here's what Paul is saying about these Christians as they were very generous, but when you and I would look at the amount, the amount wasn't much. But it was sure a lot to them because it was a lot of sacrifice and generosity. Now look at chapter 9, verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully or generously shall reap also generously. Now Paul uses this analogy of a farmer and he says of a farmer sows his seed sparingly. He just throws a few seeds on the ground. He's going to reap sparingly. If this farmer spreads the seed around generously, he's going to reap generously. And this is an analogy that Jesus used about giving, that Paul used about giving. And I echo what Joe said, that the Bible's not teaching prosperity gospel here, that if you give to God, He's going to make you rich. But I believe what is happening here and what He's teaching is that when we give generously to God, God definitely and always meets our needs. But what often happens is God provides for those who are generous and enables them to be able to give more. Because God can trust generous people. And I don't think it's by accident that a lot of generous Christians do well financially. Now, not every good Christian is wealthy. We all know that. But, but, but you probably know someone who's wealthy, but who's also a faithful, godly Christian. And God often blesses people with financial resources that He can trust who are not selfish to hoard it all, but who are givers and who um, give bountifully. Because as sinners, we're not naturally generous people. I am not a naturally generous person. I'm a naturally selfish person. So when, when, when generosity begins to work in my heart, you know where I can source that? Not to me. It's sourced to God's grace. And that's what Paul is saying here. That a clear indicator that God's grace is at work in your life is that you're not a sparing giver, you're a generous giver. You're not looking at what all you can hold on to. You look at what you can reasonably let go. You look at what uh, you need and to make sure your needs are met and you provide for your family and that is a clear call of God. But you also say, what is excess that I don't necessarily need, but I could give and God could use it to do something eternal rather than something temporary, which is what I would spend it on. So God's grace is at work in our lives when we give generously. It's a clear indicator. Are we stingy? Givers, or are we generous givers? Let's think about this. Is is it God's grace, or is it our flesh that causes us to want to hold tightly to everything that we have? Does that sound like God's grace to you, or does it sound like my flesh? Sounds like my flesh. Is it God's grace, or our flesh that causes us to spend generously on our lifestyle, rather than to give generously to the work of God and to the needs of others? And I want to give you something very practical to do today or tomorrow or sometime this week. Have you ever ran the numbers to see where your money is going? To see how much of your money is going to things that Jesus said will decay and perish? Now, 
honestly, there are things we have to spend our money on. We all need a roof over our head. Majority of us need transportation to go somewhere. We do need clothes on our back. And all of those things will perish, and we need those things. Those are basic necessities. But have you ever ran the numbers and looked at your budget and, and, and saw the amount that you're putting towards things that ultimately will perish? That, that, that when the world's over, we'll, we'll be burned and die and be gone and be wasted away. And in eternity, there'll be no remembrance of those things. But you know, as a church, uh, we support uh, a missionary in Brazil, a missionary family. Uh, Nathan, Haley, Anna Grace Kimbrell. And, and we give financially to them so they can meet people. So they can teach people not only English, but the Bible and Scripture. Nathan's about to start a church in a large city in Brazil. And our money helped uh, to provide for them a place to live, helps to provide for them to go to Portuguese language school so they can learn the language. And this week, one of our own members went to their congregation, was able to see what God's doing, and the people that are coming to Christ, and the disciples that are being made. And friends, that is treasure that will last. That is giving to something that's eternal. That's what we call laying up treasure in heaven. Now, we could take that money and and, and we could have the, the most robust Netflix account that the world's ever seen. But that's not going to last forever. Now, if you have Netflix, it's okay. I'm not saying that you're wrong for that. But I am saying run the numbers. And a lot of times we pour mouth about what we can't give and what we can't do towards things that are eternal because really we're just putting a lot of this to things that we really don't need. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, Jesus said, where moth and rust don't corrupt, where thieves don't break through and steal. That's what Jesus said to do. Number three, God's grace is at work in our lives when we give cheerfully. And these willingly and cheerfully go together. You can't give cheerfully if you don't give willingly, but they are. There is a distinction. Verse 2, I love verse 2. We keep reading it, but it says how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. Uh, Do you see kind of the paradox going on here? He's talking about this deep, heavy trial of poverty. But on the other contrast of that is this abundance of joy that they have. And that's what the gospel does for us. The gospel allows us to face the trials of life and have abundant joy. The reason is, is because all of our worth and future and hopes are not in this life. It's in the life that we have in Christ and in the life to come. But notice their abundant joy, which led them to give richly and generously of what they had. To give. Now look at chapter 9, verse 7. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. My grandfather used to quote this a lot when I was growing up, how that God loves a, a cheerful giver. You know what the opposite of a cheerful giver is? First of all, let me tell you what a cheerful giver means. It means a joyful giver. It, it's someone who's happy, glad, To give, the opposite of cheerful giving is grudgingly giving. And the word grudgingly literally means grief or sorrow. And I think some people give the same way they take medicine. It tastes bad, but they'll feel better afterwards. That's how a lot of people give. I wouldn't wouldn't be so uh, doubtful as to say maybe some of you give that way. You give, but you truthfully, you give with a wince. I mean, it's like painful to give. 
Because they were, I'm, I'm giving, but I'm regretfully doing it. It's a pain to give. I wish you didn't have to give. I'm reluctant to give. And that's not how God wants us to give. Is that how He gives? Is that how Christ gives? You see, God's grace is seen in His people when they joyfully give. When they get delight out of giving. I wrote to a man that in, in some ways is discipling me and has been a, a help to me. And I asked him a few questions about giving. And he wrote to me back. And, and, and just in his email, the, some of the things that he wrote about. But he said, you know, I get just as much delight in giving. And he talked about different ways that he gives. And, and you could tell he enjoyed giving. He's not a rich person. But he enjoyed it. It was pleasurable for him to give. And I kept thinking, I want that. I don't have that the way I should right now. I'm being very honest with you. I do enjoy giving. But, but, but not to the degree that, that, that I know God delights in. And I want to find so much joy in giving. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we say that, but I'm afraid we don't really believe that. And I'm talking to myself about that sometimes. That cheerfully do we give. Do we give so that we won't feel guilty? Or do we give because we have joy in God? You know, there's a lot of selfishness involved in guilt giving. If I give so that I won't feel guilty, what I'm really being is selfish. I'm saying it's going to be worse for me if I don't give, so I'm going to give because that's better for me because I'll feel better. There's selfishness in that. God doesn't want us to give so that it, you know, we feel better about ourselves. God wants us to give because His grace is at work and we're becoming like Jesus and Jesus is a giver. Are we the type of people that give, but honestly, we wish we didn't have to? We give, but honestly, we wish we could kind of erase those verses out of the Bible? Or are we the people that give and we find joy in giving? I love what Warren Wearsby said about this. He said, what should we do if we find that we don't have joy in giving? He said, we need to come to the Lord And ask the Lord to open our hearts and ask Him to grant us the grace that makes someone joyful to give. That's what I would encourage you to do. If you have a hard time giving, if you're wanting to hold on, ask the Lord to open your heart, flood it with His grace so that giving is something cheerful for you, joyful for you. Let me give you the last one. God's grace is at work when you and I give lovingly. Lovingly. So just to recap, Paul is speaking to Christians in a city called Corinth. He uses Christians in a place called Macedonia as a good example of giving. But they're not the only example that Paul gave. And I would argue they're not even the best example that Paul gave. The best example that Paul gave to the Corinthians of willing, generous, cheerful, loving Giving is Jesus Christ. Look with me at chapter 8, verse 9. This is the thrust of Paul's message. Here's our word grace again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might be rich. What does it mean that Jesus became poor? It's not exactly talking in financial terms, although Jesus was poor. Jesus didn't live on the earth as a wealthy person. He never owned a home. 
He only went about with his basic necessities and he depended upon other people so often because he traveled from place to place. He was not wealthy. But the poverty of Jesus is referring to two of these things. And if you're taking notes, write them down. The first is his incarnation. Incarnation is a Latin word which means in flesh. And it's the idea that Jesus, God, Son, left heaven to enter into the world as a human being. He came in the flesh. He was born into this world. So He left the riches of glory with the Father to embrace the brokenness and poverty of life. And when we read the Christmas story every year, you need to make that connection because He leaves glory to be born in a stable, laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's a stark picture of the riches that He left and the poverty that He came to. His incarnation... But even more than that, His crucifixion. Jesus' poverty is most clearly seen as He's hanging, naked, beaten, bloody, suffering on the cross for love for us. He took that poverty so that we could be rich. And it's not talking about financial riches He's talking about spiritual riches. And what grace and what love. And Paul wants these Corinthians to see how rich they are, what they've been given. And he wants them to follow in the steps of their Savior and to give with that kind of love. What we need to do is ask God to open our eyes to all that He has done for us in Jesus Christ. The riches that we have the great debt of sin that was on our account that's been forgiven, the eternal life that we possess in Jesus, the promise of His presence, the promise of His provision. If you are a Christian, I want you to stop and think about how rich you are. About how rich you really are. How wealthy you are. You have what cannot be bought And what cannot ever diminish in value. You have eternal life. You have the forgiveness of all your sin. You have peace with God. You have God as your Father. You have Jesus as your King, as your Savior, even as your older brother. You belong in the family of God with brothers and sisters in Christ. You have a place reserved for you that Jesus described as His Father's house with many mansions where the streets are paved with gold, the walls are made of jasper, and the gates are built with pearls." And that's just the decor in the kingdom of God. And the reason we find ourselves not giving so often is because we lose sight of that wealth and we think only in terms of temporary things. And God's grace is at work when we give willingly, generously, cheerfully, and lovingly as the Lord Jesus gave. I read a man this week named David Garland who wrote about these verses. And he said, when we read these verses, there's a question that should come to mind. And the question that should come to mind is this. Where is the evidence 
of God's grace that's been given to us. So in other words, where's the evidence of God's grace at work in me, even in my giving? Is there evidence of God's grace? Well, if there is, it'll be because I give willingly. I don't have to be twisted, my arm to be twisted, guilted into giving. God's grace is at work and I want to give. Give generously. I'm not, I'm not trying to hold tightly. I'm trying to look at ways I can increase my giving and, and give more and, and invest more in helping and serving and working for Jesus. I'm giving cheerfully. It's not like taking bad medicine. Uh, it's something I delight in doing. I want to give. I look forward to give. And then I give lovingly. It comes from a heart of love. It comes based upon what I've been given and giving back out of that heart of love. Will you bow with me for prayer? We're going to go into a time of communion in just a minute. But at the beginning of this year, one of the goals for our church is to encourage a number of people to take the 90-day tithe challenge. And what I would like to just encourage you to do, you don't have to do this, but I would love for you to, to do this. Between you and God to take the 90-day tithe challenge. And that is starting in April, which is tomorrow. Set aside a tenth of your income to give to the Lord, to His church, to His work. And take that 90 days and trust the Lord with it and see how it might affect you and your sanctification. See how it might make you more like Jesus and depend more on Him. See what He might do through your giving to help others. And see how He can even meet your needs and provide for you and take care of you on less than what you think and what less than what you've been living on up to this point. I want to encourage you to take that challenge between you and the Lord Uh, to test Him, to put Him to the test and see that He always provides for His own. And not only does He provide for His own, but that you will find great joy in giving and you won't ever miss what you give away for the kingdom and glory of God. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.